All right. Um, I, I want to start a series that I believe um, we'll be teaching throughout the entire month of November. And it's on the spiritual tools God has given to us um, that we can deploy in building a successful enterprise on the earth. It's really about entrepreneurship and looking at it from a spiritual standpoint, the tools that God has given unto us. And when we speak about entrepreneurship there, uh, someone can say that, well, I'm not an entrepreneur. I don't run a business. Um, I am, as people will say, I'm a nine-to-five person. But the truth is, every single person is involved in some level of entrepreneurship because you are part and parcel of the building of an enterprise on the earth. That once you are engaged in work and labor, you are part and parcel of building an enterprise. And if you understand the nature of work that has been given to you within an enterprise, and you are not looking at it from the letter, but you are looking at it, as, as, we'll, as they say in scripture, from a spiritual standpoint, you'll know that you are called into some form of entrepreneurship. Because even if you are given a small desk here, and you are told that this is what you are to do, what really they are saying, which they may not uh, have said, is that we are giving you some space to create value within this organization and to add towards the profitability of this particular entity. We believe that this work that we have given to you will contribute to the success of this enterprise. This is as far as we can see, but if you really discover anything within that space, within your jurisdiction, that can add value to the organization and make it more profitable, we will be glad, all right? And you are at liberty to express that. That's, what, that's the part that might be left unsaid. And Jesus has very little tolerance for um, us going about work without us having an impact mindset, without us thinking about the profitability of what we are doing, without us understanding that we are to add value and to make uh, the thing more profitable, or the words used in scripture will be fruitful. And he has real little tolerance for that. For we see in various places in scripture that he came to the fig tree and he sought fruit upon the fig tree. And the fig tree just had leaves and the excuse was, it's not yet time. And Jesus said, no man shall eat fruit of thee thereafter. In another, uh, um, another place, 
There was this fig tree. It said, you have been here for three years and you have only been taking space. All these three years, you've not produced anything. Told the servants, dig to its roots, pull it out. Why should they be occupying space without it being productive? The fellow servants or the servants there told the master that we'll dig around it, give us one more year and try to make it productive. Then we also have the parable of the talent, 10, 5, 1, and the unproductive servant, Jesus in one place used the word wicked to describe him because he did not, right, increase or show himself to be profitable as a person right on the earth. So this is very, very dear to the heart of God that in the building of an enterprise, we are all contributing value and we are bringing and making the enterprise a more profitable place by that which he has given unto us. And so I want to look at this, uh, this month, uh, and look at concepts from the scriptures and spiritual tools that make Jesus say, like Paul said, there is now no condemnation to them who are in Christ. That word means there is now no reason for you to fail if you are in Christ Jesus. There is really no legitimate excuse. That is, the environment in itself cannot stop you once you understand the tools at your disposal and you apply those tools uh, in what you are doing or to what you are doing. Now, I'll start out by saying this, and I'll say some, well, I mean, I mean, maybe shocking things to people in this series. And the reason why I will say these things and back them from the scriptures, quoting directly from the word of God, is that I believe that the church globally in Nigeria has to undergo what I think is a reformation of our theology. In other words, uh, the way and manner in which in the Pentecostal movement largely, Christianity has been understood, embraced, and practiced, has fallen short of that which the scriptures itself says will be the effect of the faith upon the earth. That is, if we look at a nation like Nigeria, I mean, I'm not saying they're responsible for it, but I'm saying the Bible says we are the light of the world, the salt of the earth. Uh, you can't be the light shining in darkness and with the increase of your presence and your growth, there comes a direct decay and deterioration in society. God told the Jews when they were in Babylon, pray for the city that you are in, for in the prosperity and the peace of that city, Will you find prosperity and will you find peace? So he talked about their own welfare, also being a tide to use your influence on the entire environment, and then the benefit will also come back to you. So I'll be looking at certain things. And I want to start out by saying in enterprise development, the biggest hindrance to your success in any endeavor is actually you. I'll start with that. Now, you may not think it is you, but you are the biggest hindrance 
so the realization of the very things your desire to happen. You might say it's the environment that is not conducive, but that is secondary. The biggest hindrance to your progress and the biggest hindrance to the fulfillment of the intense desires that you have in your heart is really you. And until you realize this and begin to make the adjustments you are to make, particularly in your mind first, then there won't be significant progress in any venture in which that person sets their hand upon. Yes, there were giants in the land, but when God was speaking in the book of Hebrews about why the Israelites did not get in, he said, I found fault with them. The fault was really on the inside of the Jewish people. That's why he said, I'm going to bring about uh, a new covenant and I will go into the deepest recesses of their minds and into their hearts and I'll write my laws there. For it's in that part of their beings that's where the real problem is. He found fault with them. The giants were there, but if the fault that was within them had been altered and corrected, then as Joshua and Caleb said, those giants was, were as bred as unto them. Their defenses had departed. He said, let's go up at once. But when the people still thought of themselves as grasshoppers and thought about the external things as giants, which is what people technically are saying, that, you know, Nigeria is a very difficult environment, which means that you call the environment the giant. And technically, what you are saying is, I am a grasshopper, which means I cannot succeed and thrive within this environment. It's stronger than me, which is exactly what the Israelites said when they said they are giants that are inside of that land. So you may desire to self-sabotage. That is, in, Hebrew, in Romans chapter 7, and verse 22, I believe we start reading from there, Romans 7 and verse 22. It says this, all right, for I delight in the law of God. Now, if you go to verse 21, let's read verse 21 here. It talks about the fact that in 21, I find a law that when I will do good, evil is present with me. Then it says, for I delight, that was his desire intensity of his desire. I desire, I delight in the law of God after my inward man. But where was the problem? He said, but I find another law or I see another law in my members, which means something else is going on that I can't control and is not consistent with my desires. Warring against the law of my mind and bringing me into captivity to the law of sin, which is in my members. So the desire was there and we assume that once we have that desire and there's intensity of desire there, then it means our whole beings are aligned to the fulfillment of that thing. No, sir. That's why you might say, well, I'm dealing with principalities and powers. These demons are on the outside. But yes, the demons are on the outside. But where is the battleground? Where, are the, where is the warfare going on? In you. For it says in 2 Corinthians 10 verse 4, For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God, so the pulling down of strongholds. Now, where, 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 
the weapons are being fired where? Casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God and bringing into captivity every thought that's in you to the obedience of Christ. Then he goes on and says, and having a readiness now to revenge all disobedience on the outside when your own obedience is complete on the inside. So the battle is here. What is keeping all right? Yes, on the outside, there are mountains there. There are that, but you can speak to those mountains. You can move against and they will move, all right? And you can defeat all those things. But the greater warfare is within. The Bible says a man that has rule of, over his own spirit is mightier than a person who takes an entire city. It says a man who doesn't have rule over his spirit is like a walls of a city that is completely broken down. So it starts within. Now, I can't say this is accurate, but it must be close. And they say, the psychologist here, that you may desire to succeed with all of your heart, but your habits and your belief system is 10,000 times stronger than your desires, and they will always defeat you if they are contrary, working contrary to all right, the desires that you have on the inside. So somebody says, I have the desire, which is the desire to build a business and it'll be so big, I will translate it to my children and children's children and all of that. But you look at the habits of that person. Look at the person's habits every day. How many books do they read in a year? None. When do they wake up? 10 a.m. How many meals do they eat a day? Four. Who are the people they interact with? They live in echo chambers. What do we mean by that? Anybody who is different from you, you cannot associate with the person. Anybody who doesn't look like you, you fight that person. Anybody who is not, just reinforcing your belief system and patting you on the back, which means that anybody that challenges the way in which you think and calls into question certain ideas that you have and scrutinizes conclusions that you have made, you cannot engage with that kind of person. So you are restricted to the people. As they say, a preacher is simply preaching to the choir, which means people that are already convinced and believe what you believe and can't contribute because your circle there, all right, or social circle there, just continuously gives you information where what is going on is a confirmation bias. And so you are the biggest hindrance to your own self. The enemy now is within. You have belief systems there, things that you have embraced. Authority figures said to you, you opened up the gates of your heart, saying there's a person in authority, and they planted seeds on the inside that has created a belief system that is not accurate and cannot deliver the desired results. Now, I remember a lady reading this recently. I've read that book several times. But I was going over it, and I got to one part there that really struck me deeply. And this lady said, you know, she was running a business and she was, she was making money, but the business wasn't profitable. In other words, yes, they had customers, money was coming in, but the business at the end of the day wasn't profitable. And then she said something in the book. She said, I can take you to the place where I made the decision that this business was going to grow. I can take you to the, I know the time where I consciously made the decision and I will take you to the exact spot where it happened. 
And reading, I said, well, when you started the business, of course you must have thought about it growing. Said, no, but, I mean, really, that there was a time I consciously now said, yes, I'm getting out of this, and we're going to experience growth. And these were her words. She said, it was the moment, the place, where I made the decision to allow the right talent occupy the right positions within the organization, regardless of what that did to my existing relationships. In other words, what she was saying was that she had been seeing people occupy positions that they were not right. They were not, you know, profitable. They were not delivering. She saw other people, but out of weakness there, because that's the only thing there, you don't want to, maybe you have uh, people that you like that are just not right for this. In Joshua chapter 1 verse 7, that's what he was saying. He said, be strong and courageous. God knew what he was saying. Be strong and courageous. He said, look, that you might observe. He said, only be strong. Which means it was a reflection of weakness. So if that lady's business finally collapsed, people would have said, well, it's because of this on the outside and this on the outside. But the truth would have been, it's because she didn't have the courage to make the right or the strength to make the right decision even when she saw it that this was the right thing to do. It says, be strong and very courageous that thou mayest observe to do according to all the law which my servant Moses commanded thee. Turn not from the right hand to the left. In other words, you've observed to do it. You need strength and courage to carry it out. Don't turn to the left. Don't turn to the right. It says that you may do what? Prosper. So what will hinder the prosperity? I showed you something, but you turn to the left, you turn to the right. He told Jeremiah, he said, I have placed my word upon your lips. Do not look at the faces of the people. And I said this in the earlier service. When, you know, we're very small in church, you know, many years ago, and, you know, there was this couple that I liked, and they were, they were close. I mean, the wife had been with me in school, and, and you know, you, you, people had been in school during fellowship and all of that. And so we started the church, and they come to church, and they were really helpful. But what happened was, something just started happening as a pattern. So during the service, when I start preaching, and I've started preaching like this, both of them will walk in, and at that time, this was where the pulpit was, the door of the church entrance was just right here. So if a person opens the door, it's not like they're coming from the back. It's right in front. And they will just walk up straight. And there were two seats right in front. It, now, it's like saying now, I'm preaching now. And there are seats here. And then at every time, 15 minutes after I started preaching, this couple walks into it. They sit down right in front. They're adjusting the chair. People are moving and all of that. It's distracting people in the service. And, you know... I heard somebody say something about the person once, all right, and I said this person said something carelessly somewhere, and that person said, why don't you tell pastor to correct them? The person said, well, they are pastor's people. Well, you know, let's leave them. Those are pastor's people. And that was going on. They, they were distracting the services. Every Sunday, they will do it. So it wasn't an omission. It was now a habit. So I knew that the entire church was conscious of what was going on. And really and truly, if you demonstrate weakness and you can't make the right decision there and stop it, after some time, everybody who is behaving right, because something that is negative is like a cancerous cell, it will spread. 
That's why it says a little leaven will leaven the entire lump. It will spread to everybody. So I had to make a decision. So I told somebody that was close to them, who also was in school with me back then. And I said, you tell these folks, I, they ain't coming here. Just tell them they are not coming here. If they come late, pastor said he doesn't want this again. So when it got to that time and they had not come, I, I told the ushers, once you get to 10, 10 15, let's say it's 10, 10, 15, lock the church. Nobody's coming in again. They locked the door. I was preaching. I saw them outside. They went back. I said, this should I have to make. All right? That little man, you can't. I mean, I remember again. Oh, I read when I was small then. And, you know, after I preach, people come and take announcements like they do. And one day, and I noticed the people will come late. All right? I mean, they'll come late. By the time leaders are coming late, that's the, that's the end of your, of your ministry. So I looked, and I was uncomfortable, but I just said, well, we are small and all of that. One day, a young, the niece of somebody came with him to church. All right, her mother traveled, so they placed her with this couple. And on the third week, he just said, let's say her name was Anita. He just said, Pastor, Pastor, Anita said she wants to tell you something. Six-year-old girl just walked up to me. Pam, pam. I said, Anita, was it? He said, Pastor, I want to ask you. How come all those people that always take the announcements after you come to church late? Why? Six-year-old girl. Now, for a six-year-old girl to notice it, then you know the whole church has noticed it. I said, thank you very much for what you just said. Let me tell you what I did. Thank you very much. I just turned and walked up to the pulpit. And I got there. I said, from now on, if you come late to this church, this six-year-old girl just told me, you will never come on this pulpit to make an announcement. Thank you very much. Anita, thank you for the counsel you gave to me. I, the, but why didn't I do it earlier? Now, what happens is, now you can come out and say, well, you know, uh, people are, but, but it's weakness. And that's what, it's inside. All right? So it's a belief system. All right? So she said, I can tell you that particular spot there. This singular weakness within her will have eventually shut down the entire organization and people will have attributed to other things on the outside while it was right there on the inside. So the biggest tool we will start discussing to your success in building an enterprise or participating in it, in the building of an enterprise, is your mind. How you think. Let me repeat that. How you think. Your mind. Biggest tool. It's not how you feel. It's not whether, you know, you're a born-again Christian and you're filled with the Holy Ghost. That tells us about the state of your spirit and not the state of your mind. It is your mind that creates that distinction on the outside. When you talk about the perfection of your spirit, you are attesting to the finished work of Jesus that he presented before the Father that caused you now to get saved and your spirit is now blameless, unreprovable in the sight of God. That has nothing to do with you. That is based on what Jesus did and you are gifted with that. Every Christian has that. So that is not what creates the distinction. What creates the distinction is one thing, the quality of the minds of the people. For the Bible tells us we are transformed. The word transformed means, comes from metamorphosis. So you see a person's life change. 
and they are transformed literally before you. And how does it come through the renewal of their, of their minds? It doesn't come with time, which means with time, things will improve. Things don't improve with time. Things improve because there have been an exchange of ideas, dropping certain belief systems and replacing it with more perfect ones. All right, removing certain um, thoughts there and replacing it. If you don't, there will be no change or improvement there within your life. So the difference between two Christians in output is really their mind. And even when sometimes people ask and say, how come there are people that don't know God and are doing very well in business and there are people that know God and praying and all of that don't do it? Because it's a product of the mind. Now the advantage the Christian has, which you want to see here, is that you have the opportunity like Daniel had in his own day, which means to be a, there will be a distinction between you and even the magicians because you have the opportunity now through what God has done in Christ and giving you access, you can come right up into heaven itself and receive the thoughts of God and receive his ways, which means that your mind can take the shape of the mind of Jesus Christ. You can have the thoughts of Jesus. You can have the understanding of the Spirit. You can have the very mind of Christ and have the genius of God, all right, at work in your life. But if that is not there and there's no improvement in your mind, then there will be no improvement in the quality of your life. Thank you for listening to today's podcast. To listen to the full message or any other message, please visit our website at www.insightsforliving.org. For any inquiries, please call 0818-600-0082. God bless you.